Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're talking about the generous heart of God these days and uh, the blessings that come from him, not only by what he gives, but also what he's willing to give away. I'll remind you in this conversation we've been having with the generous heart of God over the last number of weeks, that generosity is measured in, a, in different ways. You remember when Jesus pulled his disciples together, there was a widow who came to put her offering in the box that day. It would be the equivalent in our day of a penny. And some would look at that offering as something uh, that would be small and significant. If someone dropped the penny in our box, we'd probably say, hey, it's, that, that's not a big deal. Would you find it on the floor? And just dropped it in. But Jesus said, let me, let me help you define generosity. It was all she had. It was not what she was giving as what she was willing to lose. When we give away things, it, it really is relative to what we have. So all this, this, this journey that we've been on and speaking about the generous heart of God, in each step along the way, including today, it's not just about what God gave but what he lost at the apex of all that, of course, is God's willingness to, to lose his own son for our benefit, for the benefit of those that really didn't like God, for those that, uh, as a human race, were turning our backs on God, and yet God still lost. What a generous heart God has. So right from the beginning today, we start on the first page of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Because we begin to see this, this heart of God unfold from the very start when he created Adam and Eve. Today, we're going to look at the, the very beginning and how it ties in us those thousands of years ago, how it ties into our life. So we begin with the creation story. Now, people ask me all the time, especially in this day and culture, Steve, do you believe in a six-day creation? In other words, did God do that. Some people say, oh, a day is worth a thousand years and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, absolutely. I believe in a literal six-day creation. Um, and I've said before, I'm, I'm surprised it took him that long, being God. Uh, it could have been, if, if, if God said I did it in six seconds, then I'd say, hey, it took six seconds. When God said, let there be light, God was... Uh, issuing out and displaying his authority because he said, allow there to be light. Like I would say to my kids, I'm going to let you go out inside and play because I have the authority as the parent over my kids to allow that or not to allow that. So when God said, allow there to be light, let there be light, he was, he was saying to the entire universe, I have the authority to do that. And he could have done it in, like I said, six seconds or six days. But what we do pick up from Scripture when I'm reading in between the lines is something fascinating. When you read particularly in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Psalms, in the book of Job, you see that some behind-the-scenes sense of, of creation. One of the questions God asks, for, for example, is, where were you when I laid out the lines of the earth? In other words... Where were you in the drawing board, in the drawing room? So God created uh, the heavens and the earth in six days. However, 
I do wonder when I read between the, the middle and between the lines that it, did God enjoy designing it for an extended period of time? It could have taken, uh, it could have taken many, many years. He wasn't even he was in eternity and the years are not even measured there, but it could have taken, he could have enjoyed himself designing and laying out the architecture. See, we have God the creator, God the maker, God the designer, God the engineer, God the architect. And so when God made everything, he's, he must, I, I'm saying that he pondered it. You remember about a month ago, Rob laid out some of the ingenious connections of the universe and all that are needed to keep this thing going. Just imagine the fun that God had in putting this thing all together. Just the human body. We could spend all afternoon talking about the, the genius of the body and how it works all together and the kidneys and the lungs and the earlobes and the eyebrows and all the things that each of them have a purpose. And just think about the jazz that God had when he said, man, let, I'm going to design this human body. I'm saying all of that to get to this point. After God created it, he made this generous offer that is mind-blowing. He gave it away. He lost it. He was willing for others to manage what he had made. I'm not so sure that I'm willing to do that. How about you? Especially something that designed and genius. Watch this. We're in Genesis chapter 1. God has now made, in this part of the story, God has now made Adam and Eve. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, Adam and Eve, God, there it is. He blessed them. How did he bless them? Through this generous heart. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and manage it, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, I have, I have designed this entire thing, and now I'm going to give it to you to manage and to rule. Look at the very first page of the Bible, at the generous heart of God. I find it stunning. See, if I were to take the time to make all of those, I'm going to be a bit, uh, all these things, I'm going to be a bit stingy, to be honest with you, in the way I design it and the way I give it away and the way I entrust it to someone else. Now watch what happens on the second chapter of Genesis. God created not only the heavens and earth, but Adam and Eve were living in this utopia called the Garden of Eden. None of us can wrap our minds around the fullness of the universe. We know that. But I would also propose to you that no one can wrap their minds around the pristine beauty of the Garden of Eden because it doesn't exist as it did back then. Think of the fragrance. Think about what the Garden of Eden must have smelled like. Think about what it sounded like. Was it like waterfalls and bubbling brooks and, you know, ar, ar, something, you know, some, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it must have been incredible. So watch this, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and to, of Eden to manage it, to work it, to take care of it. I made it. Isn't it a, it's marvelous. Here, 
You take care of it. I, and, and then he makes the animals. Just think about how much jazz God had making, a, like, you know, the animals, from the little teeny ones to the, to the massive ones, you know, like killer whales. And, 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 just, and so then he, he says to man, I've made all these things, the zebras and all the colors and all the furry things and all the slithery things and all those things. And watch what happens in, in verse 19, Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. How generous. I made them all. I mean, like, just, just hundreds, thousands of these animals. I will let you name them. I wouldn't do that, would you? I'm like, I made them. I'm naming them. <laughs> and then he goes on. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. You know, it's because we, we hand something over, there's a risk, right? Especially if you've really made something of great design. So, I'm thinking right there, you know, he gets to, Adam gets to name the animals. There were a lot of animals. So, you know, as the day wore on, it probably got less exciting. But, you know, I, I, I kind of, I wonder if Adam started with the cool names first. You know, because he was like, wow, cool, I get to name the animals. Like, orangutan. You know, maybe he started with that one. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, armadillo, kangaroo. I mean, you can almost see him partying like kangaroo, just like having fun, you know? And then as the day wears on, you kind of wonder if he just kind of got down to like functional things, you know, like anteater. I'm going to name them by what they do. Grasshopper, woodpecker, like fly. How do I know this? Well, you just look at the names. Then they started rhyming, you know, like monkey, donkey. I mean, they're starting to rhyme. And then it gets down to like one syllable. You know he's like just burned out on naming the animals like bat, cat, gnat, rat, scrat. No, that's a cartoon character. <laughs> what a generous heart God took the risk and handing it over. Now that was creation. That was things that we could see. We come to Jesus, and Jesus says God hands, hands to us something even more phenomenal than creation. See, Jesus, so often when he's talking about profound things, you can really feel the effort of him to, to try to put it in our language. Let me, let me put it in terms of seeds or fish or plants or those types of things. So Jesus told parables, and you know it's a parable. Sometimes he, he talked about real stuff, but, you know, real experiences, uh, details, etc. But there were sometimes he, told, he was just giving an illustration. And you know this because he always began the, the, the parables, the illustrations, the metaphor by saying, it's like. So it would be like saying, man, I boy, I, I, I got into something I, I, I didn't, I shouldn't have, and it's like I, I should have treated it like a, like a hot stove. You know, we would say something that we all relate to. And so Jesus is beginning to, to allow us to see even a deeper level of the generous heart of God of what he was giving away. It wasn't creation. It was a kingdom. It was a kingdom. 
he begins to tell these parables, and they're all about the kingdom. Matthew 25 is where we're going to hover today. Sometimes we bounce around a lot in the scriptures, but today we're going to hover. So if you do have your Bible or a a device of some type that you want to tune in, otherwise it would be up on the screen. But we're going to hover today in one of the metaphors of Jesus, one of the parables of Jesus. He actually begins this verse with the word again because he has been saying several parables about the, the kingdom. So he says, again, let me, let me come to you from a different angle. And just in case you didn't get the first few, let me, let me tell it to you again. Often Jesus did that. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus says, again, it, it's going to be like the kingdom, if you read the context of the whole deal, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and here it is, entrusted his property to them. Ring a bell? He started to do that in Genesis chapter 1. Entrust the property. Now, the property here is different than the property of Genesis chapter 1. Well, I'll show you. But So he, he says, it's kind of like this. Kingdom, kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. He calls his servants together, and he entrusts his property to them. To one, he gives five talents of money. Talent in the Bible is just an amount. Don't get hung up on that. Gives five talents of money to another two talents and to another one talent. Watch, file this, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. So when you look at what Christ is saying, what he, he is saying, God not only entrusted Adam and Eve with creation, but now he's entrusting us with the kingdom of heaven, or you could say heaven's kingdom. The kingdom of God, God's kingdom. It is God's kingdom, not ours. It's heaven's kingdom, not ours. He's saying, now I'm going to entrust you to manage it, to work in it, to expand it. And I'm going to involve you in a very practical way because when you read the scriptures... I would say, you could say, boy, here are the main themes of the scripture, of the Bible. Like the, the, the substitute lamb would be a major theme throughout the Bible. But if you were to say, Steve, what one topic would you say infiltrates all of the scriptures? I would say it's kingdom. There is a kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of darkness. And from the very opening pages, it's too much to get into on a Sunday morning. We get into it in our our final stages of exchange, our one-to-one discipleship, because it's very, very heavy, very deep, but it's, there's a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of light, and a kingdom of darkness. And right from the beginning, as soon as Adam steps off the the line and Eve step off the line, the battle begins. And that, that kingdom struggle it goes, it infiltrates the main artery of all of scriptures. So God, Jesus is coming and saying, guys, it's just not about the physical. God is entrusting to you the kingdom. You see, this is so important because I think for, for, for Christians, we're all at different areas of our spiritual life. And some Christians have come to Christ legitimately but it's still a self-focused faith for them. What am I getting out? I'm looking for an experience. I'm looking for a phenomena. I'm looking for something personally in the word of God. That's, that's cool if that's where you're at. 
But then God begins to expand us like, hey, this is an other-centric faith. It's not a self-centric faith, not what I'm going to get out of Christianity, of being a Christ follower, but what I can give to others. And as you grow and as you become more mature, you begin to be more of, uh, of an other-centric faith. Some people are church-centric in their faith, like this is my church, blah, blah, blah. Some people are denomination-centric in their faith. But what God calls us to is to be kingdom-centric because that is the expanse that God is calling us to, to participate in. You see, when Rob got up earlier and said, hey, man, there's some opportunities to get involved, man, it is not just like at the corner here of, Wilk, uh, where are we, McIntosh and Ashton, right? That's not just in Sarasota. This, man, God is saying, it's huge. It's global. It's international. It's national. It's local. It's internal. It's all of those things wherever God places you and whatever you're doing. The, the Sunday school teacher across the way, it's a kingdom job. He or she may be teaching a four-year-old who may grow up and impact the kingdom of God. It's not just a little, a little room and a little building and a little corner in a little city. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, I'd like you to be part of that. I'm going to entrust that to you. I wonder why that would be. Well, let me take a shot at it. That, that story begins by saying, Jesus said, it will be like a man going on a journey. You see, one of the reasons that Jesus entrusts the kingdom is that he's not here physically. Last week, Rob talked about the, the, the Holy Spirit living in us, and when Jesus was here, he, he was limited in, the, in his acts and access to him. In other words, even when he was on earth, it was a small little piece of real estate on the planet. And even when he went out in the public market space, there were people who were crowding him. Some people couldn't get to him. You remember the guy that, uh, you know, they cut a hole in the roof to get him down to because there was limited access. So Jesus said, hey, it'd be good for me to go because now I can have, I can distribute the Holy Spirit and connect in a in deeper way. It's the same way with giving, with, with Christ giving out. When he walked this earth, he made this stunning statement in John chapter 14, verse 12. Now he's not talking in a parable. This is the real deal because watch, he, he doesn't say it's like. He starts the statement by saying, I tell you the truth. This is reality. I'm about ready to lay down for you. Anyone who, is in faith, who has faith in me will not only be doing what I've been doing, he will do greater things than these because I am going to my father. You see, the parable says, hey, let me tell you why I'm entrusting it, because the owner's leaving. And since the owner is leaving, I must entrust it to you. And Jesus follows up and says, I'm entrusting it to you because you and you and you and you will do greater things than Jesus. You're like, wait a minute, Steve, are you saying that I will do greater things than Jesus? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we will do greater things than Jesus. Why? Because we have more collective real estate. This week as I stood there and watched hundreds of people, thousands of people, about 5,000 people at this, at this conference, it is, it is marvelous. We met people from Nigeria, uh, from Northern Ireland, from Eastern Europe, from Asia, from Cambodia, from Vietnam. Uh, we met people from uh, Canada, uh, just all over the map. And I thought, as I, as I 
talk to these people and interacted with them and saw and come in together and worship together. What an ingenious plan for Christ to entrust human beings who could spread out all over the world to advance the kingdom of God. You see, Christ was saying, I can't do it all myself. I'm entrusting you to do it, and I'm going to allow you, praise God, from whom all blessings to be part of it. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Because Jesus said, I can't do it all. It's too much weight. It's about the heartbeat of what, what Rob, I almost called him Christ, good grief. That's a promotion. Now he's going to want more pay. <laughs> it's what Rob was saying, man, it's, it's all of us together because together, this church on this corner in this relatively medium-sized city can impact Christianity around the world, truly. Together, we can. And you'll notice that Jesus said, let me tell you how it works. Everybody's got different abilities. You'd say, how many people went with you this week? I'd say about 400. 400 went with you this week? Yeah, about 400. Now, there were six of us standing there. But we were just like, you know, walking into a car place. We were the salesmen. But somebody made the cars. Somebody is managing the place. Somebody is administrating the place. There's a bookkeeper in the back. When you go to buy a car, the sales guy comes. That's just, that's one little pixel. You see, before we went this week, there were people who did proofreading. There were, there, my friend Mark, man, he was, he's an app developer. Uh, my friend Joel, he, he's a great graphic designer. There were people here who were praying for us, checking in all week long. You went, to the, you went with us. Everybody who went, you know, people participate financially in this church. We take percentages of that to reach the world. You went with us this week. So everybody has a different part to play. Everybody's got a different talent, a different amount, a different place. But I promise you, we're all doing this together. And when we do it together, collectively, we can change the world because no one person can do it. So I'm driving over to Orlando. If you were here in the second service last week, you remember I, I did the announcements and I had to hit the road because I needed to get over there and uh, to set up. I, I brought my wife and my two boys because um, they, they, they went with us. And so at any rate, we're two miles. Uh, we come off of I-4. Uh, we're right on schedule. Everything's doing really pretty. Uh, everything's spiffy. And... Um, I would pull off the road. We're coming down this, uh, this uh, 535, it's called. It's a very busy, touristy area. And I turned to my wife, Carrie, and I said, hey, do, do you smell something burning? And uh, she goes, boy, I do smell something burning. Let me, let me stick my head out the window and see, you know, if it's outside. So she did. She goes, oh, good news, it's outside, not realizing, you know, we're downwind of my engine. And so it turned out to be actually our car because it got worse and worse. And so I pulled off in this little this gift shop and uh, I got out of the car and there were just smoke billowing out from the bottom of my car. Now, here's what I know about cars. It has four wheels. 
and you put the key in. Uh, that's, uh, that's about it. I couldn't change you if I, if I had to. And so I'm like, man, what do we do? And it kept coming and coming and coming and out. And I thought the car was on fire. And so I said to the, to the boys and Carrie, hey, you get out of the car because I think it's on fire. And then I called my insurance guy and I'm like, hey, Mike, I need, you know, I'm, I'm stuck here. Uh, does my insurance have any, you know, uh, tow truck thing, you know, uh, uh, policy, blah, blah, blah. And then come to find out, I kept calling uh, tow truck after tow truck, couldn't get an answer. Come to find out that on one day of the year, there's a tow truck convention in Orlando. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you ever feel like, a, you know, I see, I'm looking around the room, I see some pastors. Do you ever feel like God puts you through stuff because you're like running out of material? Hey, here's an illustration for you, bozo. You know, this is going to be real life, man. So long story short, I, you know, oh, it's just such a hassle getting to rent a car and blah, blah, blah. And, blah. and so at any rate, the guy calls me from the shop the next day and he said, hey, I got a question for you. Um, were you towing anything behind you that was heavy? Well, here's the deal. I thought that if a car maker gave you a certain amount of space, you could feel it, fill it. And so I had packed, in fact, I brought a, a picture of what my car looked like. <laughs> now, a lot of that looks like personal stuff, which it is, but about a foot behind there, the whole car is packed full of discipleship books and boxes to the max. So I'm telling you, we, we were going down, the only cool thing was like ghetto van, you know. <laughs> Probably didn't look as cool because it was a van, but it felt cool. You know what I'm talking about? We were like, we were like rocking, you know? And so what I didn't realize is that cars do have a capacity for a load. I, I didn't know that. And I basically was burning my transmission out, and uh, it, it kind of exploded with the fluid, and that's what was causing the, the hot air. And so, you know, my next morning, Monday morning, looked like this. You know, there, there it goes. And so when I, when I was, was thinking about this, I, you know, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I had no idea that a car had uh, a certain load. You couldn't put, you know, that much. How, how many people knew that? Okay, you know what? You, whatever. I bet you didn't know it before I just told you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this. The load would be too much for me to do. What Jesus is saying to every church is, it's not an individual's job to get the job done because you can't do it. Smoke's going to come out. Do you remember Moses when his father-in-law, that must have been a tough conversation, you know, to hear from your in-laws, hey, I got some suggestions for you. And, J and Jethro, his father-in-law, showed up and said, you know what? You're going to smoke your engine, dude. You're going to burn out. And in fact, let me just turn there uh, this morning, kind of off the cuff. A Exodus chapter 18. And so he comes to, uh, uh, Jethro comes to his father-in-law, comes to uh, Moses, and he says, here's what you're not, you need to do. Select capable men from all the people. You know, five talent people, two talent people, one talent people. Make sure where, you put them in the right places. Men who fear God, they got to love him. 
trustworthy men who hate dishonesty and appoint them as officials, officials, watch this, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, identical to what Jesus was saying. Some people got five, some people got 10, some people got one, but all of us can get the job done. I read a guy that's really smart with these types of things. There are roughly three million people in this story. Of those leaders that are over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, he said, you know how many leaders, how many capable carriers of the weight were in that story that Moses overlooked? Are you ready for this? See, Moses didn't think he had anybody to help him carry the load. 131,000 he was overlooking. 131,000. How many are sitting in this room that said, man, I don't know if I could do something. Absolutely, you can do something. It's all part of the story. So the first reason that God says, hey, I'm entrusting it to you is because I'm not here and greater things can you do collectively. Here's the second thing. I'll go back to the story. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property. I've already said it one time. I'll say it again. What's the property in the story? The kingdom. The kingdom. This is important stuff. It matters. It matters. All right. Here's the big deal for me. How do we respond to this? That, you know, when we hear something like this, what is our response? Try this out. Here's the first thing. Do something. Do something. Sounds, sounds so ridiculously simple. In other words, there is a job to be done, and there is a place for you. Do something. You remember at the end of his life, Jesus prayed, John chapter 17. It's one of the longest prayers that we ever recorded. Actually, it is the longest prayer. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth. Okay, let's stop right here. Show of hands, how many on earth want to live their life in such a way that you give glory to God? Yeah, right? Most of us. I have given you glory, Father. How'd you do that? By completing the work you gave for me to do. I just didn't go around and talk about concepts. I just didn't go around and talk about nice things and you know write poetry and inspiration and haiku or something like that. I got the word done. I got. I didn't go. I just didn't stand around and sing kumbaya and and uh, stand in a circle and sing worship songs. I got the job done, and that's how we bring glory to God. Because when we get the job done, we're advancing the kingdom, the most important thing to God. That's the thing that He's entrusted us with. Paul said the identical thing in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-four. Paul said, I, I consider my life zero. I, I consider it worth nothing to me if only I might finish the race, here it is, and complete the task the Lord Jesus here has, has given me to do. All right, have I stepped on your toes yet? Huh? No? Well, it hadn't been a good morning. I'm about to. Here we go. <laughs> Let me say something uh, in relation to the work. There's something that's riveting when I read about uh, the response, because that's what we're talking about, the response. When we talk about the response of those who received the, the management and, tr and trust from, from, the, from the owner, watch this. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went, can you say the next two words with me? 
at once and put his money to work and he doubled it. See, here's the deal. Here's a hard thing I want to say to you this morning. There are too many Christians thinking about it. They're thinking, some people are thinking about thinking about it. Some people have thought about thinking about thinking about it. You know what I mean? Man, where could I get involved? Well, let me just think about it. Let's see. Uh, boy, I know there's a lot of opportunities. I want to I get the right one. I want to make sure I get the exact right one, so I'm going to think about it. See, this guy, I'm entrusting you with kingdom work at once. Let's go. I don't want to be caught when Christ the owner comes back thinking about the work. I want to be doing the work. I want him to see, I want to see his nail-pierced hands. I want him to see my calloused hands. I want him to say, man, you've been busy. Woo! That's what I want Christ to say. You didn't get it right, McCoy. In fact, here's the bozo list where you really messed it up. But man, you weren't thinking about it. Just thinking about it. I love those two words. The guy that got the most, man, at once, go. So if you're thinking about it, all right, let's do a countdown. On three, two, one, we're going to stop thinking about it. We're going to do it. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Boop. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here's the second thing. Here's the second response to consider. What we do here on earth is directly connected to what we do in heaven. Now, take all the stupidity out of, you know, we're going to sit on clouds and do harps and all that silliness, right? That's just, those are jokes you find in a book somewhere. That's not reality. The reality is that we actually are going to be in charge of and manage things in heaven based on how we did here on earth, not good behavior, and we got all the golden rule right and all that jazz, but how we were responsible with what God entrusted to, to here. How, how do you know that, Steve? Well, he goes on to the end of the story. You know, he gives five uh, uh, talents out, and he gives two talents out, he gives one talent out. And if you know the story, the first two guys, man, they doubled their investment, they did great. And there was one third guy, you know what he was doing? Yeah, he's buried it, and you know what he was doing? Ah, what should I do with that investment? He was thinking about it. He got called thinking. But the guy that came, you know, who doubled the investment, you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, well done, what? My good and faithful servant. All right. We all know, many of us know that. It's what comes after that. It's stunning. Watch this. So Jesus is saying, this represents afterlife. It's all done. You can't do anything about it now. You've taken your last breath. Earth is over. Your, your time on earth is over. Now we're standing before Christ. As Christ followers, not determine whether we're going to heaven or hell. That is solid and secure. But what's going to happen in heaven after that? Now watch this. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You on earth have been faithful with a few things, and now I will put you in charge of many things. 
How we handled the entrustment from God, the management from God on earth is directly tied to what we will be in charge of and managing in heaven. Now look, some people say, hey, I'm just fine being a, a, a street sweeper. Have you ever heard that one? I'll just be fine, man. I'll be sweeping. And, and so I, I'm good. I, did, I got in. Look, let me tell you something. I beg of you, American Christian brother and sister, I beg of you to erase that silly thought from your head and take this on. We are not put on earth just to get in heaven. We are not Christ followers just to get what we can receive. We're not Christ followers like, woo, I made heaven. We are Christ followers to expand the, heaven, the, the kingdom of heaven and to be in heaven, ever how that looks, and to be in charge of things. Because when we're in charge of things in heaven, I, you think it was jazz down here? Dude, wait till there. What, what things are you talking about? I don't know. He hasn't, he hasn't sent me a list of those things yet. I don't know about you, but what I'm saying is that Christ is indicating that it matters here because it's going to matter there. You see, what I do know is that there will be a millennial kingdom of a thousand years where Christ is going to reign, and he's going to have to have some people in charge of certain things. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when it's time to mount up and Christ says, I pick you. I say, I'm going to go with you. I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you. Let's go, boys. <laughs> now tell me how the sweet, sweet sweeping goes. Okay, we're all going to be happy we're there, truly. There's going to be bliss like we've never known. Okay, I'm, but I'm saying think deeper. Don't settle for the shallow story. Christ is saying, man, it's going to be incredible. And what you do here is directly tied to what you do there. Boy, I find that riveting. Here's one more, more, one more word for you, and I got to get it in as a quota. The final word is jazz. What do I mean by that? Well, he says one more thing at the end of the story. Matthew 25, verse 21 his, his master replied to the one who had doubled the investment, to the one who had calluses on his hand, to the ones whose hands were dirty, and he wasn't just thinking about it. The one that jumped in, he said, well done, my good and faithful and consistent servant. You have been consistent and faithful and sturdy and robust and passionate. With a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Now watch. Now come and share in your master's jazz, your master's happiness. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by it. When we are serving God and expanding the kingdom, as human beings, we are designed to experience the greatest jazz in that moment. Nothing else will give you that internal jazz as to when you are in rhythm with the owner and you're managing what he's entrusted you to. There is no greater, there is no greater jazz. Walk with me for a minute. Walk with me across the hall. 
and look in the eyes of those who are teaching some of our children this morning, and you'll see jazz. Walk with me on Wednesday night. As I come in, I drop my kids off. Sometimes I'll sit quietly in the back and look in the eyes of those who serve our kids on Wednesday night, and you'll see some jazz. You'll see some frustration too, but you'll see some jazz. (laughs) Walk with me last week when I stood away from the table and I saw a team sharing, expanding the kingdom by talking about a new dimension of one-to-one discipleship to hundreds. See, God wants not just to bless us by saying, hey, here it is, but he knows that when we get involved, it's the greatest jazz. I'm going to be super transparent with you this morning. I'm in a men's group. Been in about five years. We've read through Wild at Heart. Some of you know that book. It's a men's book several times. And I believe it's chapter six begins to talk about the father's wound that all of us have experienced some wound one way or the other from our dads. And it took me a while to kind of filter through that. I had, I had a responsible father. He worked 40 years in the same job and drove 100 miles round trip every day for 40 years. He was a good man. But my father was a kind of a do-it-yourselfer. And if we were in the garage working on something, like any other kid, I'm like, hey, Dad, let me help. I got it. I can do it. I didn't hold the hammer. I didn't hold the nails. I didn't. I, I, I got it. I got it. And, and subtly, you know what that taught me? Is I couldn't do it. Somehow I, I probably wouldn't hammer it right. I'd, you know, knock something over or whatever. And I never told my father this, but my first year coming back from college, I forget exactly what it was we were working on. But he turned to me and said, hey, you want to help me out? And I wish I would have expressed to dad that was one of the most significant days of my life where I got to be part of the father's work, my dad's work. And we were equals. The details don't matter, but we were equals in that moment. And see, this is what the father wants. If the jazz music has stopped for you and your faith and has become quite stale, Maybe your hands have grown idle. Maybe, maybe your faith is a Sunday morning faith. Nothing wrong with that. God still loves you and just as much and immensely as he does everybody else, honestly. But the Father, from the very first page of the Bible, wants to bless us. And staleness is never a blessing. He understood that if if Adam had just sat around and didn't get to name the animals, didn't get to rule over creation, he didn't get to take care of the garden, he just sat in a hammock all day, that by three weeks in, it would be boring. And God didn't create us to be bored. He created us to be busy. It's not a have to. It's a get to. Praise God from whom all? You're darn right. Let's pray. Father,
thanks for letting us hold the hammer. <laughs> Thank you, God, for letting us name the animals, so to speak. You've invited us in to the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I know we can't wrap our minds around it, God. But to say that it is a blessing is an understatement. I pray, God, today for those who sit in the room as followers of Christ, secure in their salvation, who have settled for less than the design God has created them for. For those that sit in the room today and somehow the jazz music has stopped and this faith thing, this being a Christ follower somehow seems dull and without life. And God, you look on them today, not with an ounce of disgust, but with, an ounce of, with ounces and, and gallons of compassion, because you are the blesser, God, wanting us, every individual that you've ever created, to experience just this, this share in the master's happiness, the master's jazz. And not only here on earth, God, but in heaven, where you clearly indicate that for some, you will, you will put some in charge of many things. How exciting will that be? So, Father, I just pray, God, that you will disturb us, unsettle us, encourage us, whatever it takes, God, to ignite in us, Father, the willingness to pick up the hammer that you have offered to us to use. Forgive us, would you, God, if we've taken this, this task lightly? Forgive us, God, if we have become a Christ follower for, for just our ourselves, to be saved, to be in heaven. If that's so, God, forgive us for missing the point. We signed up, God, not only to be saved, but we signed up to serve. I pray for this church we call 360. And I recognize, God, that there are some people that, that understand what we're aiming for and others that it's, it's new to. So I pray, God, that you will energize us collectively to do something unique in the body of Christ to invigorate churches with, with what's happening here and, and give them something that, uh, that it was so obvious this week that they're desperate for. But God, this is not a staff thing and it's not a handful of important people thing. It's an us thing, God. And for that reason, we're going to end this day as we begin. Praise you, God, from whom all blessings flow. In the name of Christ, the owner. Amen. Amen.